Uh, I shared this uh, with first service, and I'll say it to you. I'm not quite sure, again, where this sermon will go. I, I, I spend uh, the week and actually uh, days and months prior uh, planning every word and praying over every word of uh, the sermon that I would give on a Sunday. But uh, then sometimes the Lord um, does something a little different, and that occurred yesterday. Um, I went to my good friend Clint Clifton's funeral. He's 43. And you know, um, one day every one of our faces is going to show up on a bulletin and be handed out at our funeral. And he just, Clint, um, Clint lived an amazing life for Jesus. Right here in Dumfries in Virginia, and he was uh, head over church planting for a group we partnered with, Send DC, and uh, God worked through him to plant just a whole bunch of churches and support a whole bunch of churches to preach the gospel here in this area that so desperately needs it. Uh, but here's what, here's what happened at his funeral and what kept coming up, whether it was his kids sharing or his old pastor, he, Clint came to Christ at 12 or 13 years old. What kept coming up is that he just, he loved Jesus. He just loved Jesus. Uh, particularly, and we're in this prayer series, particularly in his, his prayers, if, if you ever prayed with Clint, uh, he would start his prayers, you know, one-on-one or in front of a whole congregation of hundreds or thousands, he, he'd start, Jesus, we love you. And like he meant it. Because he had, he had this relationship with Jesus which was just true and authentic, a prayer of, of just talking with him, knowing him, being embraced by him, submitting his life to him. And I mean, like, um, a massive work was done through him, particularly planting churches on military bases all over the world through Pillar, his home church here in Dumfries. But what was so amazing about it is just his simple love for Christ, how that then poured over into his family and then into this mighty work that the Lord called him to do. And sometimes, you know, we talk about prayers like something we do and like, oh, we got to pray more. I got to pray more. And what is true in Clint's life, what I want to be true in our lives is, is prayer is that active relationship with the living God whom we love. Uh, that, it, it, you know, as we talked about last week, as we started the series, it, it's not about getting something from God, but it's about knowing someone, not getting something, knowing someone. It's not about dumping information about our lives on God. He already knows it all, but it's about the, the conversation with him that goes beyond the facts into the, the, the things we're thinking, our opinions, our feelings, our, our, our reality of who we are and being embraced by the living God. Remember the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. The infinite one who is now so intimate with us as Father because of the work of His Son Jesus. We're embraced as sons or daughters. This is the stuff of life. This is the, the core of what was Clint's life and was so even convicting in my own life. Man, I, I just want to be a person who knows and loves, who talks with, who communes with the living God and that transforms everything I do. Prayer. <laughs> I want to be one who, who knows him, talks to him, listens to him, hears him in his scriptures. 
As we, we said, that the core of prayer was last week, the whole purpose really is to be embraced by our Father, be transformed by our Father, but in that, to, to submit our whole lives to Him. As, as, we, as we request, God, give us our daily bread, we remember you are my provider. God, I, I pray for protection, but I remember you are my protector. You are my fortress. To be embraced by Him like that, but at the same moment, remember that second part of the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Not just to be embraced and have this loving relationship, but to say, I submit everything to You. I submit it all to You. My life, my family, I want your kingdom, I want your will to come in my life, in my household, in my neighborhood, in my county, in my country. Uh, what I want is your will done, and, and that's, that's what I receive now. The relationship of submission and embrace, it's what prayer is all about. And that's why I want us to start this sermon like we did last week. We, we hand out these guides, and, and hopefully you prayed through this guide uh, last week, but let's Let's kneel. If you're able, would you kneel before the Lord right now? We'll be embraced by Him. We'll submit our lives to Him corporately all together. God, our Father, first we kneel before You and talk to You as You are our King. You're our Lord. Would you give him praise right now? Praise him for who he is. Maybe something you read about him in the scriptures this week that is true of who he is and his character or a way that he showed his character through circumstances of your week. He sustained you in faithfulness through suffering or he blessed you like crazy through some unexpected grace. Just give him praise now. Now talk to him as redeemer. In light of who he is, we're really struck by who we are in our sinfulness, our unfaithfulness. That just, just lay it before him. Maybe even your apathy right now. Lay it before him. Confess it. Now, talk to him as Father. Thank him for the ways he's shown up in your life, how good he is. Thank him for all he's provided. And request of him. Come before him uh, as his son or as his daughter and, and tell him and ask him, well, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? And, and ask him for it. And, per, and particularly, would you ask him now that he might move even through his word? to transform the way you think, the way you live, the way you're embraced by Him, the way you submit to Him today. Father, when we... 
when we stand next to her in the shadow of men like Clint, we're reminded of our own shortcomings. And so much more so when we stand next to her in the shadow of your son Jesus and, and how amazing and faithful and holy. Or when we uh, kneel before you now, we know how righteous and holy and mighty you are. We, we, we shudder because we know the things we think, we know the things we do, and, and yet you love us still. God, make us men and women who talk to you honestly, repetitiously, every, every morning, evening, all through our day, that we might be embraced by who you are and fully submitted to who you are, that we might enjoy our, a living relationship with you which would transform our lives. God, even now, Father, there are some of us who probably don't even know you right now. God, would you draw, draw them right to yourself right now? And if you don't know him this morning, would you, would you reach out to him now and talk to him honestly in prayer and, and trust in him? Know that he wants a relationship with you. He loves you deeply. He's given his son that you might be his son, his daughter. Would you be embraced by him now? Might we all be transformed, Father, now by your words and your scriptures. You have spoken to us clearly. Might we know you, embrace you, and submit to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, sometimes some tangible helps help with this relationship of how, how do I pray? How do I talk to God? Uh, enjoy Him? Uh, one of the uh, most helpful tools I've found in my life with Jesus and conversation with Him, listening to Him and in prayer and in scriptures, it's just been a journal. Um, the reason I found a journal very helpful, you can call it a notepad if you want, if you're like, I don't journal, I don't take notes, <laughs> is, is it, it's not a phone, it's not a screen. You know, so it kind of separates me from where I uh, so easily am distracted or rabbit holes that I might chase. So I, uh, you know, I, I sit with my journal, I read by candlelight. I don't read by candlelight. <laughs> I might still use paper, but I flick on the lights. <laughs> And it separates me from these distractions that I might sit with the Lord and in the Scriptures. The second reason a journal is really helpful is it gives me time to ponder in the Scriptures and write down, what am I hearing from the Lord? And what does it say in this one verse or this chapter? And write down those ideas of what the Lord is saying in that Scripture. And then what's it mean? I kind of get into that a little bit after kind of writing down some observations of what it says. And then finally I'll write down, well, so what? Who cares what I've heard here from God in the scriptures? And I write down how this uh, impacts or changes my life. So a journal is helpful, not just to remove me from screens, but to uh, get me into the scriptures and reflect in a conversational way with God. Uh, and then the, the last reason is just uh, simply it helps with focus and depth. Uh, slows in life so fast. <laughs> It uh, slows me down where I can sit and think, man, why am I feeling or thinking this certain thing? Why is this mantra in my mind? But get to the why behind things. And I'll sit and talk with the Lord a little bit about it. Sometimes it's bullet points. Sometimes it's crazy thoughts. Sometimes it's a web, you know. Uh, sitting with him and, and focusing and going deep with the Lord has been really helpful in this tool. And, and I think you'd find that uh, helpful in your life, your relationship with Jesus and in prayer. So we've got journals for free for everyone that wants them. You can snag those on the table on the way out. The second is this, we have prayer guides. Uh, we had the kneeling prayer guide that hopefully you got to use every day this past week. And if you haven't, get back into that. I, I think you'll find it very fruitful. 
Um, this is our resource page, by the way, on this QR code. Our, our home page, just hit resources. You'll find all these guides uh, on our resource page under our current sermon series, under sermons. Uh, and then uh, you can find those guides there. This week we'll hand out the Acts guide. It's a great way to help us learn how to pray and sit with and talk with our Father. And the last is a couple books we've listed there. We, we really want to be intentional about resources to help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. So uh, this one is Tim Keller's book on prayer. It's, if you have to read one book on prayer, I'd suggest this one. It's comprehensive in the sense that uh, it's really practical, but it's also very theological. But it, it also uh, is birthed out of his own suffering uh, with cancer and things. So there's a very intimacy of uh, what his relationship with God would look like. It's a very helpful book. There's two other books listed there that are super helpful as well. So check out those uh, resources uh, as we continue in our series of prayer for the next six weeks. And if you didn't have a chance, uh, go back and listen to last week's sermon. It's the foundation for the whole series. All right, the power of prayer. This is an amazing passage. We didn't have it read before because I'm going to read every word in this uh, sermon. Acts chapter 12, you can turn there with me. It's an amazing passage on the power of prayer. Acts chapter 12, uh, Luke writes and captures the story of the early church. Chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Uh, He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So here's the setting. The the church is exploding. Uh, it, it began, in a sense, the nucleus in Jerusalem where this is taking place. But uh, in the previous chapter, in the following chapters, we'll see it spread up north to Antioch and, and is reaching all these nations never expected to be reached uh, particularly this quickly. The, the good news of the gospel is, is not just taking root, but it's really exploding in this area. And there's this a new group of uh, Jesus followers that we read in the previous pa- uh, passage in chapter 11. They're, they're starting to call them Christians because they followed the ways of Christ. And, and here we see, uh, now they're formalizing their name as the church, the, the gathered ones, the ecclesia, and, and they're coming together. And, and Herod is this uh, ruler instituted by Rome to keep peace. Uh, uh, don't let things get too crazy, and it's getting crazy. And Herod uh, kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now we gloss things like this, but James is a real guy. We read about him in Matthew chapter 4. James and John, brothers, they're the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee lost his son that day by the sword. These are close friends of Jesus. He he nicknames them the sons of thunder, right? They've probably got a lot of gusto. They're great preachers. They're stirring it up, right? Uh, They're the sons of thunder, and James is killed. And Herod sees this pleases the people. Oh, they'll be with me. They'll, they'll, they'll like me. They, they won't stir up too much trouble. Rome will be happy because all is going well here if I keep persecuting, slaughtering the church. So Herod arrests, we read in verse 3, arrests Peter also. 
This is the day of unleavened bread. They're, they're having a, a feast, the feast of Passover, and they're celebrating the Passover. And so uh, Herod's going to keep uh, Peter in jail for at least uh, a few days, but the whole feast is seven days. And at the end of the feast, when Peter's waiting in jail with four squads of soldiers, probably 16 soldiers, uh, he's sleeping between two of them, chained uh, with, by two of them. Uh, at the end of the feast, Herod's going to bring out Peter and slaughter him as well. To please the people. That's the situation. And the church is exploding. It's growing. And, and people know James who's slaughtered. And, and they know Peter. He's one of the big leaders of the church at this time. And they're thinking, oh man, what do we do? Do you see the contrast? But. But. In light of Herod's power, in light of all this persecution, the church is making earnest prayers to God for Peter. I'm an action kind of guy. <laughs> I like to do. I, hey, look, uh, this area needs more churches. We've got to plant more churches. We need a building to sink our roots in. Let's get after it. Let's get our systems good. Uh, let's get going. Uh, let's do it. Maybe you're an action kind of guy or gal. Now, this is a dire situation. You're thinking, hey, let's get a plan together. Let's get Peter out of prison. What are we doing here praying? Don't, don't, Peter doesn't need prayers. Peter needs an escape. We've got to get him out. Or maybe you're an avoidance kind of person. It's like, oh man, the situation is dire. Things at work are not good. I need to get a new job, but oh, I'm just going to stay here. Ah, man, I wish I could start a relationship. No, I'm not going to. I'm just going to keep it this. I want to avoid the situation. Maybe you're an avoidance person. Maybe, maybe you're an action person. The church is a praying people. Asking the might, the power of our Father who art in heaven to bring His will here on earth. Rescue our brother Peter, they're praying. God, you got to do something because we can't do anything about this situation. We are stuck. God, please act. I, I love the earnest prayer is the adjective describing it. It reminds me of the persistent widow. She comes begging for justice day in and day out. And then she's given justice by an unjust judge. And at the end of the parable is this great little line in Luke uh, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, where Jesus says, if an unjust judge would give a persistent, earnest prayer like that, what she desired, can you imagine what your loving heavenly Father whose mighty might do in response to your requests. The church is a praying church. Asking our God to do what we are unable to do in salvation and sanctification and blessing and changing lives and rescuing souls and rescuing people. Here they're praying for Peter. Uh, how does God answer? Verses 6 to 11. You can't read any of that, but we've uh, bigger and bolded the uh, different aspects that'll jump out of this text. Uh, listen along with me, verse 6. And now when Herod was about to bring Peter out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off Peter's hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed the angel. He did. Peter did not know 
that he was being done was by, by the angel was real. He didn't even know it was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Herod thought he was going to slaughter me in front of the Jewish people, but the Lord has rescued me. An angel comes into his cell. Peter's chained there between two guards asleep. And the angel kind of jabs him in the side. I love the details, right? Uh, Peter's going to tell the whole church about this when he's rescued. And, and, and the chains immediately fall off. And the angel lifts him up. He says, hey, put your cloak on. Let's go. And, and they go out. And uh, Peter thinks he's dreaming as he, he walks past the guards uh, that are supposed to be uh, keeping him in prison. And, and the angel takes him into the city through the city gate, which opens for them. And then Peter realizes, oh my God, he is rescuing me. As the prayers of the church are answered. God can do what we could never imagine could be done. He's our Father in heaven who loves us. And longs to pour out his might, his power, his blessing in our lives. And he does it here for Peter. Our God is mighty. Notice, notice when he does it. That very night. <laughs> I love that. Like it's, it's the very night right before Herod is going to execute him. And the work that, that God is doing in the, in the minds and the hearts of His people as they're waiting. And you, can you imagine the, His people who are praying fervently in the city, waiting and hoping that Peter will be rescued? They're just thinking, oh man, they're having to wrestle with who their God is and what He's going to do and what He's going to not do and, and praying for Peter. God, would you rescue him? And it's in the waiting that God is doing a deep and mighty work. Can you imagine Peter? He knows it's coming. It's the end of the Passover feast. He's going to be slaughtered. It's that very night. When, when what was impossible, it looked impossible that God would do anything, and, and now the timeline is short. It's, oh, I mean, okay, God's not going to do it. I, I'm going to be executed. And it's that very night. Can you imagine the work that the Lord is doing in his mind, in his heart, in his life? In the waiting. In the waiting, he's doing a deep and mighty work with you know, this, this hit me yesterday at this funeral. This wise old pastor, man, he stood up. He, he, had, he had been the pastor who pastored Clint since he was 12. And uh, Clint died at 43. I mean, it's just, it's just too young. And um, I said, here's what's going to happen. And he's, you know, he's an old guy. He just says whatever he wants. He just says, here's what's going to happen. Some of you are really suffering right now. He says, and you're going to run to Jesus with that suffering, and you'll get better over time. It'll still be a deep, 
deep sorrow and pain, but you'll get better over time into eternity when, when you'll, you'll see him and know him and love him. You'll worship, uh, you'll worship God again there uh, with Clint. He says, but some of you are going to uh, walk, walk away from Jesus in this time. And he just said it real. He goes, and that's going to be bad. In the waiting, the Lord is doing this mighty work, this deep work when the answers are not given. Will you take these things to the Lord in expectancy, wondering what might he do as he meets you right now when sometimes he's not doing anything? Peter, we pick up on the story. He's realized, man, the Lord has rescued me. Verse 12, when he realized this, Verse 12 of chapter 12. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And there were many gathered together and they were praying. And we get a little more hint then of what his earnest prayer looked like, right? The many are gathered together praying. They're, they're praying in long duration uh, for days and, and through nights. And, and they're praying with this uh, ongoing duration. The many are gathered and they're fervently and specifically praying, Lord, rescue our friend. And Peter, he, he makes his way to that house, verse 13. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. You see the picture? It's, it's, it's amazing here. She, she goes to the gate. Peter is there. They've been praying, Lord, Lord, would you, they're all huddled up. Lord, would you rescue him? Would you save him? And then here's Peter at the gate. He's knocking. Rhoda comes to the gate. Here's the voice, and, and in her joy, it's a confusion of joy at the answered prayer of their mighty God. They're, they're, she's like, oh my gosh, it's Peter! And she leaves him outside, locked out in the gate. It's probably not safe for him out there. And she runs back in to everyone praying and says, Peter is here! They said to her, you are out of your mind. You hear it? They didn't even believe her. Right? Like, it's not the, the strength of their faith that's bringing about this mighty work. Like, they don't even believe that God's going to do this. They, they say to her, you must be out of your mind. You must be. But she, I love it. She kept insisting that it was so. No, seriously, he's out there. And they kept saying, no, it's his angel. He's dead. This is probably his angel. He's been executed. We're too late. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. And were amazed. Our God had answered in might. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent. I love what Peter does. He says, let me tell you what the Lord did. <laughs> it's a testimony to the church when the Lord answers prayer in a miraculous or a, a normal way, which is still miraculous. Like when he does what we don't expect him to do, that we're praying and asking him, he might do this. Lord, would you, would you give me a spouse? I've been asking for years and he hasn't done it, but then he does. You say, oh, I rejoice. Or, would, would you rescue my friend from cancer? And, and then the doctors are absolutely amazing. They catch every little thing and rescue him from cancer. Or, or would you rescue my friend from cancer? And then the doctors can't explain it, but this uh, miraculous, amazing thing happened. Uh, and, then, and then Peter says, hey, let me tell you about how amazing our God is and what he did. Because it's like fuel for their faith. And Peter wants to say, it's not what we did. Listen to what he did. They're amazed. They didn't believe he could do it. 
And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. He told them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He described to them every detail, the text says. It's a testimony to the church. The power of answered prayer. But then it's also a testimony to the world. Look what happens in verse 18. When day had come, there's no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. They're like, where did he go? And after Herod searched for Peter and did not find him, he's angry. <laughs> he exclaimed to the sentries, the guards, and ordered that they should be put to death. It's just Roman law. He says, uh, if you're a guard and your prisoner escapes, well, it's your life for his. Like, if your prisoner gets out, you're dead. So you better do a good job protecting him. Otherwise, it's a substitute here. You're in. So he kills the guards. And they went down to Judea to Caesarea and spent some time there. So he leaves the city, probably in shame, because he couldn't even keep one of these new Jesus followers in his own prison. Probably realizes, oh, I'm up against something bigger here than I thought. He flees to Caesarea where he's going to scold some other of his people in Tyre and Sidon. And, and he's, he's going there to do that. And, and this is amazing, by the way. Herod stands up, right? He, he's, he's thinking, I'm the mighty one. I'll do as I please. God, who? God, what? And he's scolding his people there in Tyre, Sidon, and Caesarea, Philippi. And, uh, and then they say, man, Herod, you're amazing. You're like a god yourself. And Herod receives the praise. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. And the Lord strikes him dead right there. Uh, the text says worms ate him. I mean, it's not, that's not good. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to be there. <laughs> But, listen to the contrast, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The power of God to do as he pleases, when he pleases, how he pleases, to answer mighty prayer like this church is praying, to rescue Peter, to overcome Herod, to overcome the Romans, and that the word of God might continue just exploding in Antioch and Jerusalem all over. All right. I spent too long in an intro with this conversation about Clint's life in one sense, but I had a whole list of just prayers here that have been praying this past year, and I, I, just, I just want to bullet a few of them because here's what I think we need to be doing, praying out of your mind kind of prayers. They say, you must be out of your mind. You think God is going to do that? That's the kind of prayers we got to pray. You think... You think God is going to rescue? This marriage is dead. You think he can breathe life back into this? Start praying that out of your mind prayer. Every day, every night, all through the day. Cancer, they're to the, the, the doctor just said he's toast. Like this is not. Pray that prayer. You, we don't know what the Lord might do. He might heal miraculously or ordinarily, or you might see in heaven after your friend, your family member has passed away, the restoration of his or her body for all of eternity. But the Lord will carry you now in that even. Uh, we, had, we had a family praying, we, we want to adopt this child to protect him. And, and then the judge says, no, not going to happen. And then they just say, hey church, pray. Everyone is praying. And then, I mean, it's like, whoop, judge says yes. It's ridiculous. Uh, I told you the story last week, praying for our daughter and her provision. Board of Ed, no, nope, not going to happen. Praying fervently. The Lord says yes. 
A church, you guys are evidence of this. There, there's no church here 10 years ago. And now the prayers of his people, transformation, uh, money, uh, a place to meet, lives transformed, community groups sprouting up everywhere, 40-some uh, 3D groups, discipleship groups all over the city. You're an answer to prayer. Your prayers and the prayers of his people. Local church, uh, local churches prayed for us last week. Oh, man, this marriage, this marriage, and it's happened multiple times this year. This marriage just looked toast, just toast. I hear the situation. They say, can we come in and meet? Just disaster, right? The grace of God to bring restoration and hold them together and now flourishing. And you're like, that don't make no sense. Salvation. Praying for a friend. He, he, he goes out of the country. And you just think, man, that, that's it. It's the night before. It's over. Right? The timeline's done. I'll never see him again. God uses cancer and a messed up job to bring him to salvation in Christ. You just think, oh, God, you're mighty. They prayed and Peter was rescued out of Jerusalem prison. And, you know, it's a couple years later. Peter is going to go to Rome. He's going to be in prison again. And then he's going to be crucified. Upside down. You think the church was praying earnestly then too? You better believe they were praying earnestly then too. As the history is told, Peter says, hey, look, crucify me upside down because I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Savior Jesus was crucified. They crucify him upside down. Uh, meanwhile, the, the church is huddled in homes or, or maybe even publicly praying, God, save him again. Remember what you did in Jerusalem? Do it again here in Rome. No. Actually, they didn't even believe the first time that he would do it. Quick couple of myths here as we turn to the end. Myth number one. If you've got enough faith, sufficient faith equals yes from God. That's wrong. Now, there's a couple passages that sometimes people will uh, extrapolate from. If you would just uh, believe enough, God will give you exactly what you're asking for. You will get a yes if you have sufficient belief. The, the answer to that is no. That is a myth. I mean, just think about Jesus in the garden. He prays, Father, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours be done. And the Father, you think the Father says, if only your faith were sufficient, then I would give you what you want. Hey, have you heard or has someone said that to you? You just need to believe more, then you'll be healed of cancer when you pray. Or you just need to believe more, then your marriage will be mended. No, you need to cry out in dependent prayer. See, prayer is more about our transformation than God's manipulation Prayer is conversation with the living God saying, I am at my wit's end. I need you so desperately. Would you move in might? I believe you can. Help me in my unbelief as the Father cries out in Mark chapter 9. Now think about Paul. Paul is praying. He's got this thorn in his side. He's got this physical ailment. I mean, Paul's doing amazing stuff for the gospel. And, and he says, but I've got this physical ailment in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, he's like, man, Lord, take this from me. I don't want this anymore. This is, take this cancer, heal this marriage, do this thing. This is awful. And the Lord says, no. He's not saying to Paul, if your faith were just strong enough, then I'd say yes. No. They're appearing for Peter both times. He's crucified upside down and wrong. 
And Paul hits something really amazing right there. He goes, you know what I realized in that prayer conversation with the Lord over and over again, crying out? I, I believed he could, but then I realized he wouldn't. He said, in my weakness, you're made strong. I'm asking for provision. I'm realizing you're my provider. I'm asking for healing. I'm realizing you are the one I trust and love who's redeemed me, who's brought me back even from death. And one day will mend this ailment in my life too. Prayer is about transformation, not manipulation of God. It's a real relationship. And faith matters and righteousness in our own lives matter. Uh, but what matters more so is the will of our good God who's mighty and merciful and powerful to do as he pleases when he desires. Might we talk to him with faith? The second myth is this. If you pray in Jesus' name, then you'll get a yes. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 13 to 14 says it this way. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, Jesus says. Uh, but see, uh, what we do is sometimes we take that as like this magical mantra. If I just tag on Jesus' name, then I'll get what I want, right? Like uh, he said, if I pray it in your name, I'll get what I want. Now, what he's talking about here all through uh, particularly the book of John is this, uh, not this idea of a mantra, but identity and alignment. An identity that we come before the Father and we say, I could not even step before you to, to request anything, even humbly or timidly, but I come before you in the grace of your Son as your very Son now because of what Jesus has done. I come in His name as a family member. I don't come by any other means. I don't come by my own righteousness or how strong my faith is. I come because I'm trusting in the name of your Son Jesus to step before you and talk with you as if I were your daughter. Because I am. As if I were your son. Because I am in Jesus' name. He is my identity. I am family with you because of the grace of Christ. And also in alignment. In alignment with the very will of Jesus. And by the way, we don't fully know what that is. We don't fully know what that is. But we pray boldly and earnestly. We, we know because... Uh, Jesus himself makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us even when we don't know what to pray. It's almost as if when we come in Jesus' name as his sons and daughters, we, we're, our prayers go through this filter of the, the Spirit interceding, praying what we, he knows what ought to be prayed. The, the Son interceding, praying what he knows ought to be prayed, that the Father might hear uh, with, with ears and say, I will do, I will work all things for the good of those who love me gives us such freedom in prayer to say i'm going to pray exactly for what i desire and love and want and i hope you would do but i know you will do what is good and best this brokenness in my life it's not good this sickness is not good i i wish this were not here but i know your answers are good and i know you are good and you'll either carry me through this into eternity when all things will be mended or you might even do something crazy miraculous like we just read in acts chapter 12 a real relationship with the living God where he works all things for his good and in the process he conforms us in the image and likeness of his son that we might know the father intimately and live like the son, live like his sons and daughters. So ask boldly. You know, um, I thought it'd be fitting as we close it that one of the greatest theologians of all time might summarize this for us, Garth Brooks. Yeah, I spent seven years in Texas, and so I ended up loving country. I'm sorry for that. 
Garth Brooks, he sings this uh, song, Unanswered Prayers. And he talks about going back to his old high school. He's now married, and he goes back, and it starts off this way. Just the other night at a hometown football game. You can hear his twang almost. I'll spare you my singing. And my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back. That's probably a bad. It's like, here's my old high school flame, honey. You know. As I introduced them, the past came back to me, and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. She was the one that I'd wanted for all times. And each night I'd spend praying that God wouldn't make her mine. And if he'd only grant me this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. Could she be my wife? And now sing it with me. For unanswered prayers, remember when you're talking. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. <laughs> remember when you're talking to the man upstairs. That just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Uh, Garth was wrong. He was wrong. God answered his prayer. It was no. That was that was the answer. No. And see, sometimes God is going to answer yes. Sometimes he's going to answer no. Sometimes he'll say slow, whoa, right? Like, uh, I do believe the Lord's going to provide us an amazing building that we could sink roots here, right, in Silver Spring. But, but in the waiting now, he's shaping us to be the church. I think he's saying slow to us. He's got the right space and the right time that the gospel might go out for generations. So there's sometimes he says slow. And then sometimes, and maybe it's this too, he says other I mean, it's like, ah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but the Lord did this or that. In my marriage, in my illness, in my singleness, in my childlessness, in my child, he did this or that, and I can't believe. And sometimes, I don't love the answers, but we know we have an amazing God who has good plans for us. See, we look at the map... Uh, we look at the map from Street View. We're, we're so zoomed in. Maybe you've done that in Google Maps. You just zoomed in too far. You kind of forget where you are on the map. You can't even see. You, oh, I want to go left or right. You can't, you can't tell. And God, he zooms back out. He says, I know my sovereign good plans. And it'll work as good purposes in our lives. And in all of eternity, we'll look back and say, oh, man, you're good. How do we know that? And I want us to close like we did last week, which is to come to our Lord in prayer and this time using the Acts paradigm which is another guide that you can pray this week how do we know that his answers are good because uh, his son was praying he was praying in the garden and when he was praying uh, his, fen- his friends they, they all fell asleep and then these guards come and they chain him up. They bind him. And then they walk him through the city gate outside of the city where Jesus will be hung on a cross for you and for me. It's not an angel that comes to him, but it's a soldier who jabs him in the side. His blood and water spills out.
And we know our, our Father loves us so deeply and works all things for His good purposes because of the way He poured out His love for us in Christ. Saying no to His own Son that He might say yes to us as His sons and daughters. That His own Son then rose to newness of life that we might approach the Father in intercession with the Son as His sons and daughters. Oh, your Father loves you so much. Your Father loves you so much. If you're able, would you kneel with me? You can take communion whenever you're ready, but I'll lead us through this prayer together that we might talk with our Father in heaven. Father, we adore you. We give you praise. Praise him now for who he is and what he's done in Christ. Father, we confess we fall way short. We don't believe you can answer prayers or this prayer or that prayer. We despise you and your character when you answer in ways that we don't want the answers to come. Forgive us. God, we want to give you thanks. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for welcoming us as sons and daughters. Thank you for your unending mercy. Thank you for your transforming power. God, each of us have different things to thank you for now, and we thank you. And now, God, we we lay our requests, our supplications before even our out-of-our-mind ones. God, we don't think you could do this. Would you do it? God, would you do it? Each of us now, Father, talk to you boldly but humbly. God, would you do it? Father, we know our ultimate answers to every prayer is you alone, God, embracing you, submitting to you in your, in your will, God. If you don't give us the provision in the way we ask for, we pray, pray, God, we would just cling to you as our provider. If you don't mend or heal in the way we're asking you, we cling to you as our redeemer and our healer. God, work in us, work in our circumstances, work in our families, work in our neighborhoods, work in our county, our country. God, would you transform by your might? Would you do out of our mind kind of things? We embrace and submit to you.